Well, howdy y'all. Welcome to episode number 25 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. At least I think it's number 25. I guess I ought to look. It is. It is officially podcast number 25. I'm your host and producer, Michael Mitchell. Uh, for those of y'all that follow the podcast and listen to me, thank you so much for taking uh, your hat off and sitting with me a spell and listening to me tell some stories and history. I have a lot of fun doing this stuff and I like learning a little bit along the way. So uh, recently I've been seeing everyone's travel photos from summer vacations. Uh, I have a lot of teacher friends still, uh, even though I left the profession a little over a year ago. So I've been seeing a lot of uh, I drank here and I drank there <laughs> post on Facebook because, um, you know, teachers kind of cut loose over the summertime <laughs> and that's not bad at all. So uh, I have one friend that was posting things like uh, visiting the largest ball of yarn. I have no idea where it was. Um, another one was driving old Route 66 <clears throat> while I've had some others that have traveled overseas. So all of this is really cool, and I've seen some of them that are posting facts. Uh, my parents did travel in Europe um, a little bit earlier in the summer, and, uh, you know, they just shared a lot of facts and things about some of the places uh, that they were and where they traveled. And so I know I've covered facts of Texas previously, you know, before, but I figured why not do a few more? Seemed like a good, uh, just a good time to do it. So anyway, before we jump into that too much, of course, I want to mention our sponsor, which is me and American Mortgage Company. I know there are tons of people out there moving to and in Texas, and I know a lot of you do too. So let me help them out. I am an independent mortgage loan originator working with American Mortgage Company. We help people finance their dream homes right here in the great state of Texas. Of course, like I've said before, getting a mortgage is not a fun thing to do. <clears throat> and I get that. So, but you know, since you probably don't have, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars sitting around in a bank account or even in your safe, um, you know, you got to get a mortgage. So if you're going to have to go through that whole rigmarole, why not work with someone who's at least a little entertaining and works hard to make that process pretty painless? You know, somebody like me, good old Mike Mitchell. So if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them on over to me. Tell them to go to themichaelmitchell.com, so T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com, and let me help them out. Remember, when you work with me, I sell dreams, not mortgages. So uh, I thought I would share just a quick thing, since we're on episode 25, that's kind of a big deal. Um, themichaelmitchell.com, how did that come about? I always have, you know, people joke with me and talk to me, you know. And uh, so that kind of came about uh, by pure accident. Um, I used to joke with people. So there's a Michael Mitchell in Henrietta, Texas, which is my father, Dr. Michael Mitchell. Um, there's another Michael Mitchell who's an accountant out in Iowa Park who's not related as far as I know. Um, if he hears this, uh, howdy. Found out there was even another Michael A. Mitchell that uh, also went by Andy when he was younger. And uh, whereas my middle name is different, people used to say, oh, Andrew. So, no, I'm not Andrew. And so anyway, I, I ran across this guy that was a truck mechanic at the local love station 
who was Michael A. Mitchell. And he was Michael Andrew Mitchell, who also went by Andy when he was a kid. So I thought that was a... Thought that was interesting. But anyway, you know, I always have people go, oh, are you related to that Michael Mitchell or this Michael Mitchell, whatever? And I'd say, nope, I am the Michael Mitchell. Or that's my dad, but he's Dr. Mitchell. So I'm the Michael Mitchell. So anyway, when I was looking for a uh, looking for a name, I was, I was doing all kinds of different uh, renditions, I guess, of Michael Mitchell, Michael A. Mitchell, all that kind of stuff. And good old GoDaddy um pops up with a suggestion of the michaelmitchell.com and I thought well I'm going to have to buy that so I did so that is how the michael mitchell came around and uh I have a lot of fun uh people tell me oh man there he is the michael mitchell and so uh yeah it's a good time so there you go there's the little story about how that started All right, well, let's get into the meat and potatoes of uh, this podcast here on this crazy ride today. We are going to touch on nine unusual Texas facts. Yeah, I say unusual. I don't know. Maybe it puts a little mystery to it. Maybe you guys don't think it's unusual. Uh, And if you don't, I don't know. I don't really care. You're still listening to the podcast, so there you go. So fact number one, it's, it's kind of sort of a fact, and this is one that lots of Texans like to hang their hats on, and they share it with pride, and whereas it's true, it's, it's also kind of not, because other, every other state can do this. But fact number one that's actually put out there as fact all the time is, did you know that Texas is the only state that can fly its flag at the same level as the U.S. flag. Have you guys heard that? There are tons of people, and I actually have spread this rumor some over the years. And, uh, yeah, so it's kind of true, kind of not. You know, so is it a fact? Well, sort of. So let's talk about this. This is an often shared fact about Texas. You know, by God... Texas, because it was his own country, they can fly the state flag just as high as the United States flag. Because we were our own country, we are awesome. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, so I looked it up, and yeah, any state can fly their flag as the same height as the United States flag. I was kind of a little taken aback. I was like, wow, I almost feel like somebody stabbed me in the heart. Um, The U.S. flag code does state that no other flag may be placed in superior prominence to the U.S. flag. However, Texas has its own flag code, which states that if the flags are on separate flagpoles, the flags should be displayed on flagpoles or flagstaffs of the same height. The flags should be approximately equal size. And the flag of the United States should be, from the perspective of the observer, to the left of the state flag. I'm sorry. Yes, no, that's correct. So the U.S. flag should be to the left of the state flag or to the right of the speaker. As I always heard. 
So I I did a little digging and I kind of thought, I wonder where this fact came about, you know, because Texas has its own, you know, unique history. And I know lots of states have very unique history, but I think a lot of this comes about obviously because of the Texas pride and, and all that that you get. Um, but Texas do, or Texans do have a leg up on the federal government in one area. And that is that the U.S. Capitol building is only 289 feet tall, whereas the Capitol in Austin, Texas is 308 feet. However, there is some argument as to whether it's 308 or maybe a little taller, a little shorter. Um, regardless, we are taller than the U.S. Capitol, and that is something that Texans are very, very proud of. <clears throat> so there you go. Um, flag etiquette, flag respect is something big that we do teach our troops. Uh, when I say troops, our, our Boy Scout troops. Um, we teach them how to do all that stuff. Uh, we do have conversations about flag, flag etiquette. We do retire flags uh, for the local American Legion, one of the local American Legions, uh, post-169 right here in Wichita Falls that uh, charters our female Boy Scout troop. And so I actually got given, I don't know, about 30 U.S. flags, and then I just had a friend call today and leave a message that said he was going to bring some more and leave them on my porch because they know that we'll take care of them and do the right thing with them. So there you go. Can Texas fly its state flag as the same or at the same height as the U.S. flag? The answer is yes. That is fact. Is it because we were our own country and uh, we're pretty much just um, badass all the way around? Um, no. <laughs> Every state can do that. So there you go. I mean, if you had this belief, I am so sorry to burst your bubble. And all I'll say is, you know, bless your heart. <laughs> so, all right. So, and I'm sorry, that just reminds me. So we... <laughs> I don't know why this just popped into my head. So we have had a foster kid uh, in our care for almost a year now, and she was placed with us permanently back in May. And tonight we sit down um, to have dinner and she goes, oh my God, I had a blonde moment last night. And we all just kind of lean over and look at her and she goes, my entire life, I thought Hollywood was in California. But I looked it up last night, and Hollywood is in Florida. Who knew? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so, yeah, there is a Hollywood, Florida that's, uh, I guess, kind of in the Fort Lauderdale city limits. And somehow she got onto that, and she just felt so stupid that her entire life she always thought Hollywood was in California, and it's it's in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my gosh, I've been giving her a hard time about that. And uh, I think she's a little pissed and she would be horrified to know that I am telling literally the fives of people that are listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> so anyway, if anybody's listening from Hollywood, Florida, uh, there you go. You guys have one young lady here in Wichita Falls fooled uh, about where all the celebrities live. Sorry, that just popped into my head. Totally random. All right, enough of that crap. Uh, let's jump on to fact number two. Um, this one I think a lot of people know, um, kind of. So it's the motto of Texas is friendship. And I, you know, 
that's really good because I, I was recently talking to somebody um, and I don't remember where it was, um, but I think it was a lady from Germany uh, who maybe her husband's stationed here at Shepherd Air Force Base or something. But um, she said, oh, my God, Texas. I mean, y'all are just so friendly. And they just kind of keep saying that over and over and over. And I hear that all the time. Man, you guys are just so friendly. And I thought, you have not been on I-35 or 820 in Dallas um, trying to leave at 5 (laughs) o'clock. So, but even there, I still think people are uh, uh, friendly. But yeah, Texas's motto is friendship. And I think that's pretty standard across the state, like, you know, there's there's buttholes everywhere, but I don't think you're going to find a nicer group of people as a whole um, than right here in Texas. Although I think the Canadians, um, you know, are, are pretty close second at least because I hear lots of people go, oh, the Canadians. Oh, yeah, they're so nice. So anyway, so the motto of Texas is friendship, but it was actually a mistranslation. Um, so Texas was a mistranslation of the word Tejas. And there's even some question about that. But Tejas was, uh, uh, it was uh, a local, uh, local Native American tribe's word for friend or ally. So, um, but I thought that the state motto was adopted significantly earlier. That wasn't adopted until February 1930. So, yeah, there you go. Kind of a a bastardization of a word. Um, But, I mean, we're taking it and running with it, so it's really good. Factoid number three. There are more than 70,000 miles of rivers and streams right here in Texas. And, of course, we're huge. We're a huge, huge state. But it makes it the perfect location for those who love to fish and do other types of water sports. The Brazos River is actually the longest river in Texas. Uh, It was weird. I I pulled something up and it said the Rio Grande. And I thought, really? And it it showed like the Rio Grande is like 1,980 miles long. And I was like, what? This just doesn't seem right. So I had to do a little more digging. It's actually the Brazos River. Um, It starts with uh, the confluence of the Salt Fork and the Double Mountain Fork of the Brazos River in Stonewall County, which is just northwest of Abilene, and it flows freely across 840 miles of Texas until it empties into the Gulf of Mexico, about two miles south of Freeport, Texas. And so I do know some favorite pastimes. Um, I don't know about on the Brazos, but I know favorite pastimes of people around here. Some people like to go noodling. Catfish noodling, if you've never heard of that, that's literally where you hold your breath, dive underwater, and you find a hole that a catfish may be in, and then you shove your hand down in there to try to get the catfish to bite you, and then you hope that the catfish is a big one, but small enough that you can pull it out of its hole before you run out of breath. I mean, seems like a fantastic idea. And then also you hope it's not a giant alligator snapping turtle that's down in that hole either. So, but another favorite pastime 
is uh, tubing. And so you know, people go floating the river in tubes. And you'll see tons of people that'll be in their tubes. And then they'll have another tube tied behind them with a uh, cooler securely strapped into the tube that they're dragging down the river with them. And that cooler would be filled, of course, with all kinds of various different drinks, uh, mostly uh, barley pops. Yeah. And so, and there's even a funny bit that uh, Ron White does about people just floating down the river and he doesn't see anybody out peeing. And then, you know, everybody got mad at him because he peed, but really the other people in the canoe just got mad. <laughs> so, yeah, he said, you just float down the river and pee on yourselves and <laughs> oh man sorry guys it's uh it's not super late but i just i've, I've kind of had a day and so i'm just kind of trying to laugh a little bit because it was kind of a crummy day all right fact number four and this one i found interesting so texas is the only state that has its own power grid and it is not connected to the rest of the country's power grid yeah there's an East Coast power grid, a West Coast power grid, and then the Texas power grid. So now I had heard this had to do because of the war effort in World War II, and basically they were worried about the, the country maybe being bombed, and if you lose one power grid, the entire rest of the country could go down, so they kind of separated them. Um, and maybe that has a little bit to do with it, but that's not really the main reason. So let's talk about that a little bit. So for decades after the first light bulb was turned on in 1879, electricity really was just a novelty, <clears throat> which floors me because electricity is such a big part of our lives now and has been for a while, but it was a novelty for a long time. But of course, you know, eventually the city started using it for streetlights and streetcars and powering things like ice makers and, you know, air conditioning God bless the man who invented air conditioning because my chubby butt would be miserable. But anyway, during this time, the electric industry was just a lot of really small power companies selling electricity locally. So starting in 1907, states began to regulate the power companies. And, uh, you know, they said this is kind of becoming an essential service. We want to make sure that it's provided on a fair basis to the citizens of our state. Um, so we will say who can operate where and how much you can charge your customers for your electric service. Um, and people had really started to depend on electricity at this time rather than viewing it as just a novelty. So states started to regulate it. So many states decided to regulate their local power companies. Texas didn't because we just don't. Instead, Power companies here started to merge into bigger companies and then share power for the first time. So Texas's electric grid really started coming together. So eventually the electric companies across the U.S. started to form monopolies leading to exorbitant rates. And then through his New Deal, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt sought to prevent consumers from being taken advantage of by the industry. So in 1935, he signs the Public Utility Holding Company Act, which allowed the federal government to regulate and even break up large utility companies. So this helped protect consumers from unreasonable prices. So it sounds like a good idea, right? 
And so everybody kind of jumps on board, but then the new federal regulations applied only if a power company in one state was buying and selling electricity in another state. Uh Uh-oh. So Texas decides at this point not to let its grid connect with power companies in neighboring states. We kind of went, nope, (laughs) we're not going to do that. And so that way the state could avoid federal laws that dictated how energy was bought, sold, and distributed. Because, you know, we just, we do our own thing here. So you can imagine why this was attractive to uh, some Texas power companies. They said, okay, forget it. We're not going to sell power to anybody in Louisiana or Oklahoma, Arkansas, or whatever. We're just going to form interconnected systems inside Texas and operate like we want to because that's how we roll. So Texas power companies shared electricity with each other, but sharing stopped at the state line. And I guess I'd never really noticed that much, but we have power lines that run right down the Red River. They do not cross it still to this day. So I don't remember which documentary it was, but uh, they did make mention that it was, uh, it ended up being a very strategic thing for Texas to have its own power grid due to World War II. Uh, Again, since we were worried about getting bombed and stuff during the war effort, and there was so much war effort happening in Texas as there was across the entire company. But again, we have an East Coast power grid, a West Coast power grid, and a Texas power grid. So really that meant at any given time, all electricity in the U.S. couldn't be taken out. And so I guess that was a good thing. But I still laugh because it's typical Texas. We're going to do our own thing. So speaking of electricity, let's jump to fact number five. So the state has the largest wind farm in the country, which is located in Roscoe, Texas. It has 627 wind turbines positioned roughly 900 feet apart and range in height from, get this, 350 to 415 feet tall. That's what I could find online. This is actually what I found on this company's website. The entire farm is managed by four separate companies that collectively produce 781.5 megawatts, which is a bunch because there's the word mega on there, which means big. It's spread over 100,000 acres, and it says they reduce CO2 emissions by 1.4 million tons, which is the equivalent of removing about 250,000 cars from the road each year. So that's interesting. I know there are lots of people up here in my area that hate the wind turbines. Um, I'm kind of indifferent. I don't mind them too much, but of course, I don't have any in my backyard. So... This big wind farm is located southwest of Abilene. Uh, I remember seeing them start building it because we lived down in San Angelo and we'd travel home <clears throat> to our area here in Wichita Falls, Henrietta area, um, you know, to come home and see my folks. And so I remember seeing these things being built and go, golly, these are huge wind turbines. And they had a bunch out in Ira and Texas, and I got to go visit with those guys some. But anyway... This wind farm has been fully operational since October of 09. So again, whether you're a fan of the wind farms or not, 
you've got to admit, this is an impressive feat and really a massive alternative energy undertaking here in Texas. So again, not getting political, alternative energy, all that other stuff. Just saying, that's a boatload of wind turbines um, over 100,000 acres. That's, that's just, that's a lot. Fact number six, ugh, feels like this today. The highest temperature ever recorded in Texas was 120 degrees. I think my butt cheeks were pretty close to that today. Um, based on how much I was sweating. <laughs> anyway, it was 120 degrees in 1936. This was recorded just 50 miles southwest of where I live in a town called Seymour, Texas. Interestingly enough, 120 degrees was also reached in Monahans, Texas, which is close to where I used to work for the Boy Scouts out in West Texas. And it, was, uh, it made that to 120 degrees in 1994. In comparison, though, the highest temperature ever recorded on Earth was in, you guessed it, Death Valley, California, at a place appropriately named Furnace Creek, and it was on July 10th, 1913, and reached a whopping 134 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot, folks. That, that just, ugh, that sucks. Um, it was like 104 here today in Wichita Falls, maybe hotter. Um, so I guess I shouldn't complain too much. At least we're not Furnished Creek in Death Valley, California. So there you go. That's hot. Uh, fact number seven, Texas is home to the largest bat colony in North America, which is located in Bracken Cave, has around 15 million bats. Uh, Bracken Cave is on the northern outskirts of San Antonio. Uh, again, like I said, it's home to the world's largest bat colony. Um, <clears throat> this says it has about 15 million Mexican free-tailed bats. It is a key maternity site for the species, and the females congregate there each year to give birth and rear their young. To add to this little factoid, though, Texas is also considered the battiest state in the country due to it being home to 32 of the 47 species of bats here in the U.S. And so, uh, and I know they do lots of studies on them. Tons and tons and tons. I, I used to hear about them all when I was a science teacher. Fact number eight. Texas has the largest honky-tonk in the world. It's called Billy Bob's Texas. It's located in Fort Worth. It promotes itself as the world's largest honky-tonk. And at 100,000 square feet of interior space and nearly 20 acres of parking space, I think, you know, nobody's going to argue with them about being the largest honky-tonk. So, the, but who the heck was this Billy Bob guy? I had to look it up. I was like, well, Billy Bob's, you know, okay, cool. Well, who's Billy Bob? And, you know, if you were thinking that same thing, good for you for listening to the podcast because I'm going to tell you. Billy Bob Barnett was a Texas A&M, of course he was, Texas A&M University graduate and professional football player, and he teamed up with a nightclub owner and former car salesman by the guy uh, by the name of Spencer Taylor. So while looking for a location to fit their idea, the men decided upon an abandoned 100,000 square foot department store that was at one time an open air cattle barn. Why not? 
They get some additional investors. Barnett and Taylor renovate the building's interior and exterior, and they open the place to the public on April 1st, 1981. So Billy Bob's closes in January of 88 and then reopened again in October under some new ownership and management. In 1983, <clears throat> I thought this was kind of cool, Merle Haggard, while on stage, offered each person in the crowd of 5,095 people. Um, it's what they call a CC of waterback. It's one ounce of Canadian club whiskey with a water chaser. And so he did this in honor of his song of that same name. So the drinks totaled 40 gallons of whiskey. And at that time, it cost $12,737.50. So the stunt earned Merle Haggard a place in the Guinness Book of World Records as the purchaser of the biggest round of drinks ever. So yeah, that's kind of cool. I was not there. So in addition to the concert stage where artists perform, Billy Bob's Texas also has a dance floor, of course. Music memorabilia museum, a pool hall, bar, restaurant, gift shop, and a small dirt arena where professional bull riding is held on weekends during concert days. Uh, although their stage acts focus on country music, they have hosted acts by entertainers like Bob Hope and B.B. King, which I got to see B.B. King before he passed away. That was really cool. Um, lastly, Billy Bob's Texas has also been the host to uh, many movie and television productions. So movies like Baja, Oklahoma, um, which I've never seen. Over the Top, which was still Sylvester Stallone, where he's a professional arm wrestler, but he drives a truck and he works out in his truck and all this stuff. And uh, he gets mad and wins by turning his hat around. <clears throat> Another movie called Necessary Roughness. So those have all been filmed there. <clears throat> Billy Bob's is used extensively playing itself during location filming for several episodes in season seven of the original TV series, Dallas. Dun, 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 dun. I remember that song. Ugh. So there you go. And uh, on a side note, my buddy Jeff Bryant, who was with the country band Ricochet, uh, I believe he played there several times, and he's always tried to talk me into going down there and seeing his name on the wall or picture. Fact number nine, as we're kind of winding this thing down, we have the world's largest cowboy boots. Of course we do. They are located in San Antonio, Texas, and stand at a whopping 35 feet tall, a guy by the name of Bob Daddio Wade was a Texas pioneer of cowboy funk art inspired by giant roadside statues, like maybe by the giant ball of yarn <clears throat> I talked about earlier, uh, and the sprawling scale of his home state. So in 1979, he's 36 years old, and he had just become famous for installing his giant Lone Star Iguana on a rooftop in New York City. So tastemakers in Washington, D.C. coveted some Texas style of their own. So Bob was invited to build something just as big in an empty lot at the Nationals uh, in the nation's capital. So Bob measures the lot and then creates an artwork to fill the space. Of course, it was a pair of humongous fake ostrich and calfskin cowboy boots, 35 feet tall and 33 feet long. It took him six weeks, which I think, Man, 
build 35 foot tall, 33 feet long cowboy boots. Six weeks is short time. Um, and he was paid $7,000. So the boots were mostly made of junk materials that Bob scavenged and they were completed in September of 1979. Washington political reporters were fascinated with the boots potential to stomp big things. Bob cheerfully claimed that each could hold 300,000 gallons of beer because why not? And promoted them as the world's largest, even though he had no idea if it was actually true. So in those days, there weren't any books or resources like Roadside America, uh, said Bob. So I wouldn't have believed there was a pair any bigger than mine. And I assume he was talking about the boots. So there is a place, uh, the Hatton Boots in Seattle, Washington, that are slightly smaller, but claim to be the world's largest matched set of cowboy wear rather than the largest boots. But how on earth did it get from Washington, D.C. to San Antonio? Well, they were in D.C. for only four months. They were then bought by the North Star Mall in San Antonio and trucked down to Texas. The boots were so big, said, you know, Bob the Builder, that the drivers had to take back roads to avoid the cops. Um, One boot was slightly creased when it wedged beneath an overpass, and it had to be freed by a crowbar. Um, But both boots still arrived at the mall in relatively good shape. Bob re-erects them in January of 1980. And so he says, back then... The mall was kind of a ratty mall, and one day they called me and said, Mr. Wade, your boots are on fire. They were not, in fact. It turned out that a homeless man was living inside one of the boots, cooking his dinner with the sterno can, and using the neck of the boot as his smoky chimney. So Bob says, I don't know how long the guy had been in there, but they probably should have just left him alone. Uh, It would have been a great attraction. (laughs) So there you go. In the past 40 years, the formerly ratty mall has gone upscale, but surprisingly, the boots have remained and become a uh, better looking with age. Um, Bob never ceased to be amazed by their enduring appeal, and the mall owners have just been sweethearts, he says. They spent $80,000 in 2012 just to redo the tops of the boots. That's insane. He built them and was paid for seven grand, and then they had to spend 80000 to redo them. So there you go. There's some unusual facts about Texas. And you know what? There's tons and tons more. So you're probably going to hear some more unusual facts at some point. So what do you think? That's nine unusual Texas facts. What did I miss? What did I miss? I know we've talked about, you know, the Wichita Falls, how we rebuilt our falls here and we can turn them on and off in inclement weather. That's always kind of fun. But, you know, if you guys go, dang, I missed something, shoot me a message. I'll, I'll include it in a future podcast. I've had people that have started sending me messages saying, hey, check out this or that. And, and I do. I don't always get to it, but uh, anyway. <clears throat> Speaking of facts, it is a well-known fact that is known literally by fives of people that I'm the funniest mortgage guy in Texas. Seriously. This fact was confirmed by a completely unbiased study done <laughs> by me. Because why not? I'm the funniest mortgage guy in Texas. I would like to thank our sponsors again. Uh, Of course, me and American Mortgage Company. Keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them my way to the, T-H-E, Michael Mitchell, 
com. And remember, I sell dreams, not mortgages. I love making people laugh and smile. I hope I made you guys smile a little bit today. Even though we're running a little long on the podcast. Dang it, I try to keep it around 30 minutes and seem to run a little long. But yep, I sell dreams, not mortgages. Love making people laugh and smile. And uh, I really love helping people get into homes of their own. That really does make me feel good. Thank you all for tuning in to the podcast today. As always, remember, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.